0: Kia ora, no mai ki te whare. welcome to The House, I'm Johnny Blades. Parliament began this year with a brand new Prime Minister and ended with another new Prime Minister and a new Government. So much has happened in Parliament this year, it's almost hard to believe there were three months without the House sitting at all. But even in its early days, the 54th Parliament is so far living up to the frenetic feel of the 53rd. In fact, even though there's been a change of Government, some things haven't changed like the frequent
1: question time clashes between Nicola Willis and Grant Robertson. Here's Phil Smith. Amongst all the discussion, debate and vitriol, weird things happen, even entertaining things, although the humour is usually accidental.
2: How big is his hole and do
3: (laughs) That is not in the public interest, I can assure you.
2: Apologies, apologies, Mr Speaker. Um, how big is the New Zealand government's financial hole and...
1: As I said, sometimes MPs are genuinely funny. More often, though, MPs say things that make you wonder. Yes, Phil, it does make you wonder. Does Nicola Willis have an unconscious obsession with
0: Grant Robertson's body? Or was it a conscious gaffe? That was in August, but just this week, having now replaced Robertson as finance minister, Willis was at it again.
2: That, that's right, and I would put to the member a way of summarising that, is what New Zealanders care about is the size of the sausage, not how it's delivered, and how we will deliver it. Is
0: <laughs> well, at least she got some laughs, something to ease the tension in a year that's had plenty of tense moments in the chamber.
4: Why are emissions failing?
5: Order. Order.
4: Can we have
0: security, please? Greenpeace protesters warning about climate pollution by Big Dairy were escorted out of Parliament's public gallery after heckling and unfurling a banner over the chamber during the final question time before the election.
5: You need to leave the gallery right now. Hoki
0: the incident provided the ACT Party leader, David Seymour, an opportunity to reprise his role as the classroom telltale.
5: Mr Speaker, I've, I've just uh, been told that uh, Greenpeace have released a, a picture of the protest earlier that uh, clearly appears to have been taken from a member's seat. Now, to take that picture and share it uh, would assist in the protest and therefore impede the House and its duties by encouraging people uh, to enter as strangers and create disorder, that that would prima facie make it a contempt. I just ask that you seek reassurance from members present now that they didn't do it and perhaps investigate who did.
0: Protests at Parliament usually take place on the forecourt, not the chamber. And this year the House looked at the work of long-term activists for whom protest at Parliament is one of their tools. In his own words, the following activist has taken on all manner of things as part of his work. Almost three decades ago, he took a chainsaw to the Great Pine on One Tree Hill to raise attention to Māori rights and issues around the treaty settlement process.
3: So, my name is Mike Smith. I'm from the far north. I'm a member of the Ngāpui and Ngātikau peoples, and currently working on climate uh, issues. Yes, yeah, so there's been a few occasions we've uh, been on the forecourt of Parliament here taking part in various political actions, presenting petitions. I think it was here we presented the petition to stop deep sea oil drilling after a 10 year campaign and the Prime Minister came out and greeted us. We handed her a petition uh, to halt deep sea oil drilling Um, and she went back to her office and within about two weeks the announcement came through that the government had indeed um, decided to um, uh, put a moratorium on issuing new exploration permits. Uh, but there's been other things, you know, the asset sales um, mobilisations over the years, uh, Waitangi-related protests, uh, all manner of things.
0: That maybe shows that activism, it can actually get results in this place?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I think politics and indeed the law should reflect the morality of the society or the, the mood of the society at any particular time. However, there'll be uh, powerful voices, vested interests that'll be pulling against um popular opinion and so it's important that there are opportunities for the public to express themselves to, I mean the word demonstration sort of sums it up, we've got to demonstrate what that feeling is amongst the public and uh, bringing those voices uh, to occasions uh, like demonstrations outside of Parliament is one way of doing that. I mean anybody can arrange uh, meetings with Ministers and they may or may not be uh, listened to or heard but there's something far more powerful about an expression of a substantive um, section of society. You know, I've been on marches where 50,000, 60,000 people have mobilised in Auckland and Wellington on issues, particularly around climate issues and, and mining on conservation land issues. And I know the politicians, when they see that amount of people uh, standing up, they really do take notice of that. Protest is, of course, only one of the ways in which the
0: public can exert an influence on government. Another example was seen this year in the passage of the Therapeutic Products Bill. The Health Select Committee, which examined this legislation, digested a vast amount of public feedback, much of which took issue with the bill. Accordingly, a lot of changes were made to the legislation. The Green MP Ricardo Menendez-March had this take on things.
1: And other speakers have talked about of how, how this bill has generated a huge amount of public discourse. Um, while I know the National Party was talking about the Labour Party flip-flopping, it's actually... Government responding to overwhelming feedback. What it shows is the power of the grassroots. It shows the power that the public actually has at guiding the direction of government legislation. We forget that actually the people have the power to to pressure government into moving into the right direction. As we often do, the
0: House this year also looked behind the scenes at the work of people who make parts of this place work. Like Rachel Haywood, who holds two official titles simultaneously, Secretary of the Cabinet and Clerk of the Executive Council, to interlinked and overlapping roles, she chatted to Phil. Cabinet's actually informal, right?
4: It is, it is, and it, um I mean, Cabinet is held together by a number of conventions and it's really well established, um but yeah it is interesting, it's not a statutory creation, we often talk about that, it's a, um you know it's not a creature of statute, is the phrase that people use.
1: I bet it doesn't feel informal, though, when you're there. You're sitting there sort of like following it and taking minutes, right? Well, taking decisions, not minutes. We record the decisions, yeah. You don't take minutes?
4: We take working notes so that papers come up that'll have a series of recommendations. And so the minute will reflect the recommendations that were contained in the paper and any changes that have taken place. So, So we'll just keep track of what the discussion is in terms of how those come out the other end for the minutes. But yeah, there's no formal record taken. How do you keep your mouth shut? Oh, it's not hard when you're sitting here in a room of 20, 20 cabinet ministers. Because I mean, really,
1: <laughs> sometimes I go to select committees and I sit there, you know, making notes if I'm going to make a programme of butts going. And I just, I want to contribute. I yeah. just want to say, no, no, that's, you know. Even in the House sometimes, it's very hard sitting up top watching and not interjecting. Not chipping in. That's oh, that, right.
4: That's never an urge I've had, for. I have to say. Is... I, I guess it's because the role is really clear. You know, my role is about <laughs> making sure that the decision-making is robust, that the process runs well. Um, it has never occurred to me to chip in.
0: Making sure the process of Parliament runs well is very much also the aim of Parliament's Māori Language Service, headed by Maika Tiāmo. He told us there's an increased appetite to learn te reo Māori among staff from different parts of the parliamentary system and also among members. Let's note here that after October's election, there's an historically high number of Māori MPs in the Parliament at 33, or 27%. This all means the five-person language service's work is in demand more than ever. The second they start speaking, Micah and his colleagues have to simultaneously interpret it in English for those listening live. That must be hard. Um, it's at the time, it's real time. Waititi yeah. is, is giving a, a passionate speech yeah. and you've, you've got to pump
6: it out. You're right. You picked the right guy, though. Rawiri Waititi is... Um, the, the challenge with, with Rawiri a lot of the time is trying to figure out a way because, you know, he, do, he speaks relatively quickly in both English and Waori, so one challenge is keeping up. But the hardest challenge in my experience so far has been being able to interpret... Uh, a particular historical reference or metaphor in a way that can both one conveys what he's trying to say, it conveys to a certain level at least, the history of the context, because if you just translate the words, they, they may mean nothing, and also do it in a way that every member in the chamber will grasp what he means, but then doing all of that while keeping up uh, with his um, speech. So that's the, that's the trick.
0: As much as anything else, 2023 was a year of goodbyes, with many MPs leaving Parliament, some even at the time of their own choosing including two former leaders of the biggest parties. One of those was Jacinda Ardern, whose resignation as Prime Minister at the start of the year before the House had even convened again was quite the political bombshell dropped on Parliament. Her valedictory statement came a few months later.
2: There were very few things I aspire to do in politics that have a natural end point. Poverty, inequality, ending environmental degradation. If you ever claim it's job done on those issues... You set the bar too low. Politics has never been a tick list for me. It's always been about progress. Sometimes you can measure it and sometimes you can't. We won't ever know the long-term benefits of banning conversion therapy, especially for our young people, or what it means to our Pacific communities that we finally apologise for the dawn raids. There will be no list of the lives saved because of the banning of military-style semi-automatic weapons. We won't know how we left women feeling about the ability to make their own choices when this Parliament decriminalised abortion, or when we improved pay equity, put period products into schools, or reach 50% representation of women in Parliament. And while these things may not feature heavily in the history books when they write about the years 2017 to 2023, which will likely be a very heavy few chapters, they are still nonetheless things I feel very proud of. There are things I feel confident will feature, though. A valedictory is not a place to summarise a pandemic. No one has the time for that kind of group therapy. (laughs) (laughs) There is no question it was an incredibly tough experience for our nation at the bottom of the world. And I will concede a tough experience personally.
0: The other former party leader to exit was Todd Muller, wrapping up a nine-year stint, which many will remember for the brief period in which he took over as leader of the National Party, then stood down in the face of a mental breakdown. Phil Smith was listening.
1: Like all valedictories, he thanked his family, staff and supporters. Like most farewells, he threw in a joke or three. But unlike most speeches, he concentrated most of his time on a bracingly honest and very thoughtful exploration of threats and failures of and to New Zealand, democracy, Parliament and his own
5: colleagues. There is a broad change occurring in New Zealand that concerns me and I succinct in our private moments concerns many in this house. There is an anger at a level I have not seen before, boiling frustration weaved through the personal conversations of many of our fellow New Zealanders. From this discontent swells greater partisanship, which is fueling a level of political toxicity that is corrosive to our society. I think the most explicit example of community division at the moment is the issue of Māori and economic and political aspiration. There are two polar opposite views that are pulsing through our communities. One, that this country is being radicalised by the Maoriification of our society, and the other is that we are very slowly, but inexorably, moving to a treaty-centred future which was imagined in 1840. From these opposing philosophies emerge policies calling for the treaty's impact on New Zealand's life to be seriously curtailed, and policies that seek to apply treaty principles more broadly to guide all we do in this House. There is a building resentment that fundamental legislative changes are occurring without due consultation, and there is intense frustration that the promise of 183 years ago continues to be denied. As we would hope, in a representative democracy, these perspectives are not only represented in this House, they sit side by side. But their worldviews could not be more at odds. How we deport ourselves on this issue matters. We are a House of Representatives. Political debate in this unique New Zealand cauldron should be strong, ideas tested, and their articulation critiqued. But we must ask ourselves, are we standard-bearers of civility and decency, or amplifiers of division? We set an example here, and the ability to temper our language when we are fighting for closely held beliefs is not a weakness, but a strength.
0: The 54th Parliament is just three weeks in, and they've been three hectic weeks. Two of them under urgency, as the new coalition government got some early achievements under its belt. Mostly those have been repeals, moving the law books back to a slightly earlier incarnation, kind of like the legislative ghost of Christmas past. And that's it for another year from The Big House. You've been listening to The House, a programme made with funding from Parliament's Office of the Clerk. Matewa.